Would you join me in welcoming back Diane Comer? <laughs> Thank you, Christina. You're welcome. You know, I hardly recognize myself when you're talking about me. I'm just me. I'm just entirely me. After years and years and even decades of trying to be somebody else, over the last several years, I've just felt like I've settled into just being me. That is one of the best things, you young girls, about getting older. There's just this sense that I don't have anything else to prove. I don't really need to please everybody anymore. I can just be myself. It's, it's actually, you know what? I, I tell my 11-year-old granddaughter who has drama at school, girl drama, you remember? Remember being 11? Um, I tell her all the time, you know, women really get better as we age, like wine, you know, we, we mellow and we get nicer. It is really rare to meet an older woman who is, who is just mean and nasty. We've just kind of had all of that squashed out of our lives, hopefully by this time. Last night, I told you my story, how God came to me in the middle of my mess how he healed me in those deeply broken places of my soul. And I, what I really wish is that I had time to sit down with each of you and hear your stories. Hear what God is writing and what he's doing and how he's showing up in your life. Psalm 107, I quoted last night, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. That's us. Those who redeemed from the hand of the foe. And that's always our story how he caught us and rescued us from the hand of the foe. And as a mom, I don't want that to be my kid's story. I want them to have the perfect fairy tale life. Anybody with me? Is that what you want for your daughters and your sons? Of course. And that's just not going to happen. But the reality is for them to love and walk with Jesus, they're going to have to recognize that they are redeemed from the hand of the foe by Jesus. By telling our stories of being redeemed by the hand of the foe, we give each other hope. And you know, we give our kids hope. And now I give my grandkids hope. We give each other the gospel. We sit back and we sigh and we say, isn't Jesus amazing? What he would do for me, isn't he awesome? I don't know how many of you know who Christine Kane is. She's just like a, a one-of-a-kind bundle of Australian energy. And uh, not very long ago, she posted this on Instagram. I love this. So many of us are so busy trying to be amazing that we are not amazing God. Here's the great news of the gospel. You don't have to be awesome because God is awesome. Awesome. When we tell our stories of the amazing awesomeness of what God did for us, when we couldn't do for ourselves, instead of pretending to be amazing ourselves, we take all the pressure off and let God be the one who is awesome. And there is nothing better than to sit down with a woman, maybe with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, maybe outside, I'm an outdoors person, 
under the trees, maybe walking along Pacific Grove or somewhere in there, and just talk for hours, not have a time limit, not have kids interrupting, not have this phone dinging for us, just to be able to dive into each other's lives. You can't really know someone until you've taken the time to do that, to listen and to learn and to understand why we are the way we are and what has shaped us. What I want to talk to you about this morning is what I've learned about listening to God as a deaf woman, how a deaf woman hears in a, in a world that is hard for her to understand. Because we are really, honestly, all hard of hearing. The parallels are just almost infinite. We try to hear God, and we hear nothing. And we wonder why. And it feels hard and hurtful. Or we misunderstand. We mishear, and we wonder why. That's my world, the world I have been navigating since I was 26 years old. Trying to hear now from this cochlear implant that is essentially a tiny computer implanted in my head. Without it, I take it off. I hear absolutely nothing. With that, I hear imperfectly. The whole story of the scriptures is really about God drawing us near to listen to him. He wants us back. Genesis 1 and 2 is the way he created us to be, you know, how under stress and trials and difficulties, the worst comes out of you. That's not the real you. You were made for the garden. He did not hardwire us to live in this broken world. So if you're anxious, if you're depressed, if you're struggling in your relationships, it's okay. You were never meant to live in a world like this, and he is with you. The whole story of the Bible is him bringing us back close to him, as close as we can be so he can restore our souls. As I said last night, to hear in the scripture in Hebrew actually means to listen with the intent to obey. So, okay, are you with me? Do you want to hear how a deaf woman listens? I have seven things that I've learned about listening. They're not super deep dives, just real quicks, but lots of scripture. So if you have a pen in hand, write these scriptures down because they're like some of my favorites, the ones that I go back to time and time again as a woman worth meditating on. Number one, how a deaf woman listens Take responsibility for listening. When I first began to learn, lose my hearing, and it became within just a few months evident that I was losing it really fast, um, I had an audiologist who took it on herself to coach me in the art of listening. Immediately, she told me, don't learn sign language. That's a whole different culture, a different world. You'll just eliminate yourself. I'm surrounded by my kids and my family. You need to stay in the hearing world, so you need to learn the art of really listening. She knew my hearing was failing fast. Most audiologists, I've come to find out since then, are kind of quiet, serious people because it's kind of a quiet, serious, very detailed profession but not Dr. Lang. She had bright blonde hair, kind of Doris Day kind of a look about her with bright red, long fingernails. And she waved like a baton when she was talking to me. (laughs) 
The very best piece of advice she passed on to me had to do with my attitude, waving her fingers, Diane, you have to be the one to take on the responsibility to listen. She wanted me to know that it wasn't up to Phil to help me to hear. It wouldn't be up to my kids or my friends or anyone else to bring me as close to the world of hearing as I could get. I was going to have to go after hearing. There is a word that I have come to love, and it's this word, endeavor. To endeavor means, according to Webster's, to attempt something by exertion of effort. We endeavor to hear God. We attempt to hear him by exertion of effort. Actively going after hearing God instead of waiting and hoping, sort of passively wondering why in the world he isn't talking to me. Jesus said over and over again, he was ears to hear, let him hear. The word let in the vernacular of the Bible always means do it. Do it. Let yourself do this. Hear. Have ears to hear. Let him who really wants to hear do it. God himself invites us to listen. In Psalm 27, 8, David wrote, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I love that verse. I love to wake up early. I'm an early morning person, but I don't want anybody else up with me. So I get up or learn to start getting up early before I face people. And I love to lay in bed for a few minutes until that verse inevitably, because I've been doing this practice for so many years, comes into my mind as an invitation. Die. Come and talk with me. Try that tomorrow. Right before you go to sleep tonight, read Psalm 27, verse 8. A couple times. Three or four times. Ask him to wake you up in time to listen. Maybe set your alarm clock a little earlier than normal and wait. You will hear it. Maybe not right away. It's okay. You know, we are hard of hearing. I'm hard of hearing. I miss so much. It's all right. You'll hear it or you'll sense it, that invitation. And then get up. Find a place to get quiet. Open your Bible and wait for his words. Number two and learning how to hear, position yourself to listen. I hear only out of my left ear, which means I can't hear any direction of sound. So several times a week, I'll walk in the house, and I, it's a one story, and I'll say, Phil, are you home? And I'll hear him say he's home, and I'll say, where are you? Well, his office is on this side of the house, our bedroom is this, on this side of the house, and to me, with only hearing from one side, he could be anywhere. But I tell you, after all these years, Phil still does not know how to say, I'm in my office, or I'm in the back, or I'm in the bedroom. That's how it is to limp along with hearing and how we often mishear God as well. Find a place to get quiet and listen. So when I go into a restaurant, I've learned to be a little bit more assertive than my natural personality is comfortable with. I tell the person who's seating us that I want to sit in their quietest place, like not under the speakers. Preferably a corner, even better outside if there's no busy road. I mean, I'm having to think and think and think. 
Then I take a seat against the wall so that my cochlear processor's microphone is facing only the people that I want to hear. It takes some maneuvering. It takes endeavoring. It takes effort. It's a little embarrassing, and it's a little inconvenient, but it's what? Because I really want to hear the people I'm sitting down with. In the same way, when you want to hear God, get ready to take charge of your time and take charge of your place. We are such passive people sometimes that we end up being kind of victims of our own passivity. And that's my conviction about who I am. We have to take charge. If we want to hear God, we need to take charge of your time and place. Before, get up, this is why, and some of you are going to just hate me for this, most listeners I know, those who really lean in to listen purposely in the scriptures, get up early. I'm so sorry to say that for you <laughs> night owls. Before the noise of the day interferes with all your listening or something overrides, some emergency happened before the kids get up, it is really inconvenient, but if you really want to hear, you need to start to rearrange your life around a set time of day where you know you check in and you're listening closely in the scriptures. David cries out his need to hear in Psalm 143, verse 8. He says, let me hear of your unfailing love to me in the morning, for I am trusting in you. Then he goes on to say, show me where to walk, teach me, lead me. But first he needs to be reminded of God's unfailing love. Then he needs to be shown, and then he needs to be taught, and then he needs to be led. Psalm 17, 15, David writes, when I awake, I will be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face. Fully satisfied. That's what begins to happen when we make a conscious and consistent choice to position ourselves to listen to God. We change from striving, impatient, anxious, bossy women. We become settled. Women at rest. Women who are genuinely, honestly satisfied. We finally understand the 23rd Psalm. I have everything I need, David said. I lack nothing. Can you imagine what that does for our relationships? When we lack nothing, when we find our satisfaction in him alone, when we position ourselves to listen to God, not just in need of direction, but every day he satisfies us as no one else can or ever will. Number three, Get used to his voice. The strangest thing about hearing is that we actually hear with our brains, not our ears. Your ear collects the sounds, processes it it via the cochlear nerve, which is kind of a spiral-shaped nerve filled with hundreds of thousands of little hair-like things that wave over the fluid. Those that waving turns the, the mechanical sound into an electrical per, pulse that zips up the eighth bundle of nerves in your brain, and voila, you hear. Unbelievably, um, you hear almost instantly. There's no measurable piece of time between that sound goes through your ear 
and it turns into the electrical pulse and goes up the eighth bundle and you hear. That's a miracle. And you know, with the cochlear is such a, a been a big money maker for some of these companies, but they've not been able, nobody has been able to discover how we hear music. So the cochlear is really not very good for music. But I think that is just beautiful. Someday when we are in heaven and we are surrounding the throne and we're singing, I hope he gives us a little bit of a physiology lesson to understand <laughs> of the miracle that he made in listening to music. All of you musicians should just delight in that. The smartest people in the world with all sorts of financial incentive cannot figure out how we hear music. Our brains are a little bit like computers. They love patterns. For me as a deaf woman, that means that the more I listen to someone's voice, the more clear that person's voice becomes. Somebody can have a heavy accent from where some other place in the world, but if I spend many hours with them, all of a sudden I can hear them crystal clear. My brain tunes in to a familiar voice. I can understand most of what Phil says to me, so much so that I can even talk to him on the cell phone and get almost everything he says. In John 10, Jesus describes himself as this good shepherd. And he says, we are kind of like sheep. Now, that's not really a compliment. Sheep are so incredibly stupid, just <laughs> shockingly so. That's what Jesus is comparing us to. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep recognize my voice. I know them, and they follow me. With listening, we get a little less stupid, in all honesty. <laughs> Please don't quote me on that one. That's just the re reality of it. We begin to recognize God's voice right when we need to hear. Over time, be patient with yourself. This takes time. In my case, I'm kind of a ponderous thinker, slow-moving, slow-thinking. His voice comes to me so much faster than I could hear that I always know when it's him. We tune into him. He leads us and he guides us. He teaches us by that voice. Once I was invited to speak somewhere that I was really nervous about going to, so I went shopping. Of course, <laughs> I need a new outfit for confidence, right? That made perfect sense to me. So off to Nordstrom I went, and I was flipping through the racks and looking at the price tags, and all of a sudden I heard this just invitation on my shoulder. Die. How much is enough? No condemnation, no shame, no obedience lesson, just how much is enough? That's how he speaks in a way that I can hear. It's so memorable, and it strikes this chord of, of deep truth and authenticity in my life. Often in those short, convicting phrases, and always friendly. I know it's his voice because I'm used to it now. That day, I walked away free from the need to boost my confidence falsely with a new outfit. Number four, we lean in to listen. When I'm in a conversation and there's any noise going on around me, I have to work especially hard to understand what's being said. So I stare at the person's face. 
at the way their lips move, at the expressions on their face, trying to, to make sure I'm tracking with what they're saying. And sometimes when I'm talking to a woman, just not even realizing what I'm doing, I'll take a step a little bit closer. And if I'm still struggling to understand, I'll get a little bit closer. And then I'll get a little bit closer, and I'm staring at her mouth, and all of a sudden you'll see a woman just kind of back away, like, oh, this is intense. I lean in to listen because I want to hear, I want to get everything that I can out of what she's saying. That is what we have to do sometimes. We have to lean in to listen. I have people say to me, I never hear God speaking to me as if God is only going to grab us by the arm and say, hey, you, listen to me. That's not his way. He whispers. He whispers. Friendship with the Lord, this is Psalm 25, 14. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. He's that kind of conversationalist. And may I remind you of what David discovered in Psalm 66, 18. If I had not confessed the sin of my heart, my Lord would not have listened. You can lean in, but if you know full well that you're living counter what God clearly says in his word, you're living counter what you know is right, don't expect to hear until you've dealt decisively with your sin. Or you'll be really only hearing your own excuses. And our own excuses are really convincing and can really mess us up. Or you'll be hearing Satan's sickly sweet deception. I've watched over the years of our church as people come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is so beautiful because his conviction is without shame. It can feel heavy, but it's shameless, without shame. When God is speaking, it's sometimes hard stuff to hear. And sometimes I've watched people make heroic choices. Like the woman who moved out of her longtime boyfriend's house, so full of fear that she wouldn't be able to support herself and her little daughter. It took her months to gain the courage. Months of us praying for her, praying with her, supporting her, knowing that this was in reality a really hard choice to make. When she did, a bunch of our people helped her move out, giving her their time, giving her cute furniture, hanging pictures on the wall, making it a cozy home for her. I got to see her just glow. She was like lit from inside as her faith grew in leaps and bounds when she leaned in and had the courage to listen with the intent to obey. Sometimes when all we have faith for is one little step towards obedience. It's as if God longs for us so much that he comes with wide open arms and he pulls us the rest of the way. I love that about him. He is not this stern father saying, you do what I say or else. He's this loving father who in the prodigal son story is waiting on the front porch for his son just to face towards home. And then he goes out running after him. That's who he is. You only need a little faith and a couple of steps, and he will meet you there. Number five, listen in humility. I covered this a little last bit last night. After 45 years of marriage, Phil and I are still learning how to love each other well, how to love each other wisely. 
And we still argue over stupid stuff. You'd think by now that we would know better and we'd be beyond that, but it's not true. And of course, I'm always right. <laughs> Nowadays, with us working together rather than the years and years where I was more of in a support role, one of our most common arguments has to do with our calendars. Phil has this uncanny ability to keep everything straight in his head. His desk is messy. He's messy. He's messy. But his head is completely and disgustingly organized. <laughs> he thinks in a straight line, and so he always seems to know what's happening next and all the details. It's like he's got a video calendar in his head someplace. I don't think that way. I'm very neat and very tidy because my mind is so messy. I'm always thinking, you know, people say, you know, you need to get out of your head. And I think, why? It's great in there. I like being in my head. I haven't figured that one out yet. Phil says, it's as if I live in a dream world. And I like my dream world in there. So Phil has learned over the years to remind me. He reminds me. Just in case my head is in a dream someplace, thinking about something else, planning the future. And get this. Deaf as I am, I will wage war over whether Phil actually told me something or didn't tell me something. <laughs> you didn't tell me we're supposed to go to that. I was supposed to be at that meeting. How is that for absolutely ridiculous? A deaf woman saying you didn't tell me that. May I just urge you who are learning to listen, to listen with humility. Don't listen for someone else. Listen for yourself. Listen to learn. The handful of times, and there have been beautiful times, when someone has spoken a prophetic word over me that actually made sense in my spirit, they either had no idea they were in that moment God's mouthpiece, and I've had several of those, or they've approached in such humility that I was able to receive it, to hear God speaking to me his grace out of that person's mouth. Number six, listen in community. Sometimes, even with the best of intentions, we're just off in our judgment. What we think we're hearing is in reality kind of crazy, kind of kooky sometimes. Like the friend of ours who was unhappy in his job and had been for a long time, and he wanted to go into business for himself, wanted to go into retail. He wanted to open a lighting store. He was reading his Bible and came to Jesus' words, I am the light of the world, and was absolutely convinced, there it is, he's supposed to write, open a lighting store. So he went into horrendous debt against all counsel, would not even listen to his wife who was saying, honey, this is not making sense, not at this time. He lost everything, including his marriage. The guy was absolutely sincere, but he didn't listen to those around him who loved him and who knew him well. We were made for community. That's why it grieves my heart when so many people are not making it back into church on Sunday mornings. I grieve more than anything else for their children who are not going to have that benefit. My kids got to grow up surrounded by people of all ages who loved them and who mothered and fathered and grandparented them. He was sincere, but he, this man did not value his community enough to listen. 
Husbands and wives, they're called to submit to each other. Phil and I have a covenant together. We will never make a decision in opposition to each other. Rather wait, rather submit to each other and wait. We run what we think we hear by each other, and then we run it by our wise counselors. We've usually had five wise counselors who don't do everyday life for us, with us, but who know us well and will tell us the truth. Not just your friends, but wise counselors. At this stage of our lives, we also include our grown kids in that community of believers. They know us, and they are committed to helping us to hear correctly. And when we fail to do that, we can actually become oppositional with our adult kids and miss the whispers of God. And number seven, and last, and by far the most important, God speaks most often and most clearly through what he calls the word of God, the Bible. This is how God speaks most certainly. 2 Timothy 3.16 in the New Living, I like the way it reads, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. Mostly when I hear God, it's about realizing what is wrong in my way of thinking or in my way of responding. The Spirit uses his word to teach me to do what is right. It doesn't come naturally really to any of us. The more we soak ourselves in this word, the more his wisdom and his ways fill us and the more we know what is right. He's been straightening me out now for decades by using his word to draw me close, to restore my soul into my truest self. In this language of spiritual formation, which is kind of a, an old way of discipleship that is becoming new again, my son has very much to do with bringing that into modern English. There is talk about the true self and the false self. It's Paul's talking about living according to the flesh, living according to the spirit. God speaks through the layers of your false self to your truest self in the word, which is why Timothy, 2 Timothy is able to say that he cuts right through to the intentions of our heart. It's powerful, this word. As we wrap up this morning, because we have one more session in a little while, I want to tell you one last story of how God restored my soul one morning when I opened these scriptures, Matthew, our youngest, was eight years old, and he had just been diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. It's a terrible, frightening disease, and I was terribly frightened, really, really scared. So much so that when he came home from the hospital, we set up his bed in our room so that we could hear him just in case. I'd read in a diabetes research publication about this thing with a horrible name called dead-in-bed syndrome. When a type 1 diabetic who just inexplicably dies in his sleep. Obviously, as a mom of an 8-year-old, brand-new diagnosed diabetic, I was not sleeping. Made sleep really hard. 
For the first four months, I'm pretty sure I never got all the way asleep. I kind of just dozed through the night, checking his blood sugar levels, making sure he was okay, making sure he wasn't dead in bed. What a horrible, what a horrible even name. And I was exhausted, and I was starting to fray around the edges. Everything felt like an emergency to me. And one day, Phil had to leave for a two-week trip to Connecticut. He was working for an evangelist at the time. And I put on a brave face, but as soon as Phil left for the airport, I climbed right back in bed and just put the covers over my, my, over my head and just cried out to God. I cried all my fears out to the Father of what could go wrong, what might go wrong. And then I propped up in bed and opened my Bible to listen. I needed to hear God. And just coincidentally, in my Bible reading of that day, when I was going through chronologically, I'd been working slowly through the book of John. I was in John 11. You know the book. It's the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection. And I'm reading along thinking, I don't want to read about some guy dying, not when I'm worried every moment for my son, when my heart pulled up short by these words, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. John eleven four. My heart froze. Really? Are you telling me that my little boy is safe? That I can sleep without fear? And I heard no answer, which is very typical when you are really filled with anxiety, fear, big emotions inside. It does make it very hard to hear God, and that is very normal. Some of the godliest people I know um, have told me over and over in the middle of a crisis, he seems far away. Just we have to know on faith that he is still there beside us. It's about us not being able to hear, not about him not being present. So I heard no answer, just those words ringing in my ears. And I know that sometimes we hear what we want to hear, right? But I was not in a state where I was trying to convince myself. I needed to know. So I asked, Lord, will you show me what it is you're really saying? Is, is this just me wishing? All day long, I kept one ear tuned into the presence of God, leaning in to listen, doing all I knew, alert, very aware of God's presence, but hearing only silence. Late that night, Phil called from Hartford, Connecticut. He'd been teaching in a church there in the inner city. This is right after Matt had been diagnosed. So when he got up to teach, this was his first um, trip away from home since he'd been diagnosed. He asked if the people would pray for his son. He was doing an evangelism training course. So they were believers. They were in this inner city church. He said, will you just pray for my son? I, it's hard for me to leave him right now. It's, the first year in a child diabetic's life is very precarious. While the, your pancreas is still producing some insulin, and then you're giving him insulin, and, you know, it's, it's scary. So Phil asked me on the phone about Matt's levels. It's conversation and vocabulary you learn very soon with a diabetic. He's either too high or he's too low. And then he said, I'll die before I forget. Tonight, an older African-American woman walked up to me after nearly everyone else had left. Actually, she had left, but then she came back, and she insisted that I give you this message. She believes it's from God. 
this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Before you can even finish the story, I just started sobbing. He had no idea what was going on with me. And when I told him about how God had met me that morning in the scriptures, in that very same scriptures, he started to cry too. How beautiful is a God who would love us like that. When we were both able to talk, Phil told me more of this woman's story. While Phil was teaching, she just kept feeling this tug that she was supposed to give Phil this message for me, a verse she'd read that very morning. She knew in her spirit I needed, but she was too embarrassed, not this forward, you know, uh, pushy kind of person at all. She was embarrassed to put herself out there, so she got in her car and started to drive home the night before at, at this actual inner city conference. They warned everybody to go be very wary in the um, parking lot. They'd had several murders over the last month in that very place. So we, we were all told, they were all told to go in big groups and make sure everybody got in their car and locked safely. So she was driving home. The Spirit of God's telling her to go back and give this message to Phil for me, a woman she had never met. So she obeyed. She turned her car around on that cold, snowy night and drove back to that dark, dangerous parking lot. She got out of her car. She set aside her embarrassment and walked up to Phil. Phil said she actually stood like five feet away, just sort of embarrassed. And she said, the Lord wouldn't let me go home without me telling you to tell your wife this sickness is not unto death, but unto the glory of God. And then she turned around and she went home. She has no idea that she was God's voice for me that day. She didn't know that I was nearing a breakdown, that I hadn't been sleeping, that I hadn't been able to trust God enough to let go of my panicked grip on my little boy. She still doesn't know that in my fear I couldn't hear God clearly and that he used her to lift that burden from my shoulders. A prophetic word from a woman I've never met. Someday when I get to heaven and she's there, I'm going to run up to her. She's going to be completely unsuspecting, and I'm going to give her the biggest, sloppiest hug ever. She is like my hero. When I think of who would I would love to go out to lunch with, it's that woman. I can kind of picture her in my mind. I have no idea how old she was or anything. That's who I would like to go out to lunch with. I would like to know how she learned to listen to God in such a way that she could unburden a young, young mom so afraid. I would tell her that I never lost another night sleep over Matthew's diabetes. That's because she was in the Word that morning listening and because she had the courage to act on what she'd heard. God used her to speak to me, to rescue me, to set my feet once again on the rock. He restored my soul. And he will restore your soul too. And he will use you to restore the souls of others. You may not know about it. You may not hear about it in this life. But for some of you who've been listening and have been sharing, especially a word from the word with others, don't be surprised if others run up to you and we meet, see Jesus face to face and give you big sloppy hugs because they have been like life for me. Her words 
or life for me. Let's pray. Father, we just, we worship you right now because you are so amazing. Thank you that we don't have to be amazing. But as we lean in to listen to you, you can actually use us, that we can be your voice to a woman or a child or a man or a boy who needs to hear what we have heard from you. Thank you for this rare and beautiful gift of prophetic word that sometimes that you give people. May we, may we handle it with the greatest of care, Lord Jesus. Lord, whoever this woman is who came and talked to me and gave me a word from the word, I pray even right now your blessing on her life. Pray that she would somehow just have that sense of being near you, being loved and being used by you. Thank you for her courage. And Lord, if there's a woman here right now who needs desperately to hear from you, but she can't because the pain is too great, the anxiety is too real, or the emotion's just too big, I pray that you would just use somebody in her life to hear for her, to bring a word of encouragement, to bring a prophetic word, to bring a word of wisdom, all from your word, Lord Jesus. Pray that you would use us in the body of Christ like that. Pray that you would do the same in our children's lives, Lord, for those who have children who've not yet really decided to follow you fully. Maybe they're grown Maybe they're messing up a little bit. I pray that you would people, send people of the word, listeners, into their lives too, to say what they won't let us say, what they can't hear from us. And Lord, we just thank you and we bless you that your word is true and that your words to us are full of love and hope and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.